person I've chosen to talk about today is a very famous person who was probably the most famous preacher in his country in his day. Um, and he's still famous today, even though he died some 400 or so years ago. Um, and he's famous today more so as an author. Um, and he's the person who wrote the book Pilgrim's Progress. So um, we're going to talk about John Bunyan today. Has anyone heard of him already? No? Okay, so, yeah, a few people I know. <laughs> um, so before we start um, the story of John Bunyan's life, um, I think I need to give you a bit of a history background because uh, John Bunyan lived at a particular time in history and some of the events that occurred during his life have a direct impact on, on the way he lived and the decisions he had to make. So John Bunyan was born 12 years after Shakespeare died. So 1628 we're talking about. And he lived during a period of time in England's history that was particularly tumultuous. So I don't know if you realise this, but actually in England um, there were civil wars. And John Bunyan lived through that period of time where there was a civil war in England. So John Bunyan was born during the reign of Charles I. And Charles I is very famous because he was beheaded. Um, and the, he sort of started a civil war in England at the time. And his, the war that occurred when he was around was between the Parliament and um, King Charles, pretty much. So the, the king was um, uh, fighting a war against his own Parliament. And um, he was defeated. And after King Charles I, we had uh, a Lord Protector in England by the name of Oliver Cromwell. Now, under Oliver Cromwell, actually, things were really good, and there was a lot of freedom in England. Prior to that time, there was a thing called the Church of England, which we now call the Anglican Church. And the Church of England was part of the Constitution. It was part of the law of England. So everyone needed to sort of go to the Church of England and so on. It was like a state religion, I guess. But under Oliver Cromwell, there were a lot more people at the time who realised that the Church of England was doing things that were not quite right. They realised that the Church of England was including traditions that were not part of the scripture and that there were all sorts of rules and regulations which didn't have any basis in the Bible at all. And so there were a lot of people who were really genuine Christians who wanted to get away from the Church of England because they, they thought it, it wasn't right. And these people were called the Puritans. And so they were called Puritans because they wanted to go back to the Bible and make sure that what they were living was directly or purely from the Bible. So they were called the Puritans. So during the time of Oliver Cromwell, these Puritans were allowed to uh, do their own thing. They were allowed to have their own assemblies. They didn't need to go to Church of England buildings and so on. And also, at this time, the Church of England had something called the Book of Common Prayer. And this was, it sounds like a prayer book, but it wasn't. It was actually a script for each church service. You, there was a script for a church service in the morning and a, one at night, and there was a script for how you conduct a marriage, and it was, it was pretty much a script. And at this time, the people who were Puritans said, that's wrong, you can't do that. And so they didn't want to use that. And under Oliver Cromwell, that was allowed. But once Oliver Cromwell, di Oliver Cromwell died, Charles II came to the throne. And he changed things dramatically. So suddenly the Church of England had to be the main church. And he passed laws that said, during this time in England, 
You couldn't um, meet together if you were not in a Church of England building. Every church service had to follow the script of the Book of Common Prayer. If you didn't have a license, you weren't allowed to preach. And all of these rules were passed during the reign of King Charles II, who was also in John Bunyan's lifetime. And these rules were called the Clarendon Code, and it was very significant in John Bunyan's life later on. Um, And actually during this time, during the reign of Charles II, um, there was a lot of persecution of Christians, Puritans, I guess, um, genuine believers who didn't want to do things that were sanctioned by the state. They They didn't believe that the Church of England was doing the right thing. And so many of these people were persecuted, killed, tortured, and so on. And that occurred in England, believe it or not. Um, Christians were persecuted in England during this time. So that's a bit of background. And now we'll talk a little bit more about John Bunyan's life. So John Bunyan was actually a really poor person. He came from a very, very poor background. His family were, um, well, his father was a tinker, which means that he mended saucepans and kettles for a living. And he, John Bunyan grew up in a very, um, with very, like, very little. He, he lived in a very small village in Bedford, which is sort of um, several days' walk from London. And he pretty much had a very unremarkable upbringing. He was given some education. In those days, the poor people were allowed to be educated, but he left school at the age of 10, which is typical for the poor people at that time, um, and he could only just read and write. That was it. And I think he had one book, which wasn't really a book, it was a pamphlet, and that's what he had used to learn how to read at school. That's all he had. So at the age of 10, he'd left school, and he was apprenticed to his father, and he became a tinker, of course, and he mended. He went around with his father, and he mended things and so on. But by the time he was 15, um, his mother died suddenly. And only a few weeks after that, his 13-year-old sister also passed away. And this really hurt John Bunyan at the time, and he had a lot of grief about this, two very close family members dying within a month of each other. And to make matters worse, his father remarried only about four weeks later. And so as a 15-year-old, just suffering from the loss of your mother, the loss of your close sister, and then having a stepmother in your house, he, he really, really struggled at this time. And before he could even get over his grief, he was conscripted to the army to fight for the parliamentarians in that first civil war that I talked about. So here was John Bunyan, still grieving, a 16-year-old boy conscripted into the army. Now, during the time in his army, he actually had a lot of um, near-death experiences, which had a big impact on him. So he he remembers on two occasions when he was in the army and they were crossing a river by boat, um, he fell out. And uh, he was only just kind of pulled out by some of his um, comrades. And, And likewise, he fell into a creek at another point and was almost drowned again. So these two experiences stuck really closely with him. But there was another occasion when he was, um, he was actually walking with a friend, and he might have been a little bit drunk at this time as well. And a, a, like an adder, which is like a poisonous snake, crossed um, his path, and because he was a little bit stupid, he threw a stick at it and um, then grabbed it by its head and stuck the stick in its mouth and pulled out its, its venomous little teeth. Um, and he realised later that... Um, in his stupidity, he could have easily died at that point, but the Lord saved him yet again. 
And then there was another occasion when he was in a battle and they were going to invade or they were going to sort of, um, you know, um, attack a certain area and they were going to sort of put a bit of a siege around it. And uh, he was meant to stand guard at one point. Um, and at the last minute, somebody wanted to take his place. And so this other person took his place and stood guard. And that night, that other young man got shot in the head by a musket ball and died instantly. And John Bunyan realised that it could have easily have been him if it were not for that last-minute swap. So these things, these incidents, these very um, near-death experiences really stuck closely with John Bunyan, but not in a positive way. He actually, instead of um, taking those experiences to realise the shortness of life and the fact that he needed to do something, he actually turned the opposite and he decided to be um, the greatest sinner the world has ever seen. Um, he used to think, you know, the devil also needs his companions. That was his sort of motto. So he was, um, he, he was actually renowned for his wild living. He talked about it later, you know, in his life, he talked about how he was a ringleader amongst the youth of the time. He was known for his lying, his swearing, his, his drinking, his dancing, all of those things which in those days were seen as complete uh, blasphemy against God. Now, you've got to remember in these days, um, you, you, if you swore or blasphemed in a public place, you could be arrested or fined. So these were quite serious things that he was doing. Like, we don't think that's that serious these days, but in those days it was taken very seriously. Let alone, he used to do things like he used to gamble on a Sunday, which in the 1600s was unheard of. Like, this was, this was really turning you back on God. So that was John Bunyan's life. And so as a result of all those early experiences, the grief, the loss, the, the, the difficulties in war and his near-death experiences, he actually became worse than ever before. However, when he was 21, he got married. And he married a woman who there's no record of her at all. That she was so poor. In fact, she was an orphan. So the records are not there. Uh, we don't even know her name. And she was so dirt poor that all she had to bring to the marriage was two books. And these two books were the inheritance that her father had left her. Um, and so these two books became John Bunyan and his wife's prized possessions. They were so poor that they actually had to share a dish and a spoon, which is significant because he was a tinker. He fixed dishes, but yet he didn't have one for him and one for his wife. They had to share a dish. So they were dirt poor, and these two books were really special to him. And through looking at these two books, he actually learnt to read again. He'd forgotten, you know, he'd left school at the age of 10. And with these two books, he started to read again. But the two books that he had were actually written by Puritans. They were um, books about righteousness and things like this. And so as he started to read these books, something awoke in him, and he, he sort of realised that, he needed to change his ways. Even as a married man, he had a reputation for his wild living. And these two books started a chain of events that gradually changed him. Now, through these two books, he actually decided that he would start attending church regularly. But he, did it, he didn't really understand. He just kind of went to church and um, he saw it as a superstitious thing. So by going, he thought he would get some form of blessing by sort of, you know, by um, 
venerating the clergy. He, he thought that that would sort of give him some sort of um, favour in God's eyes. But he didn't understand that the minute he left church and started drinking again, he, he didn't sort of see a connection. He literally just went to church as a sort of a superstitious act. Um, and at this time also, although he had a Bible, because everyone in the military was given a Bible, um, he didn't really know what to do with it. He didn't sort of look at it and he didn't understand anything that was written in there. One day, he was, as he was working as a tinker, and he used to travel on foot to various villages and he would set up in the town square. One day when he was setting up in a town square and waiting for people to come, he was, he was going off about something and swearing and carrying on at somebody or other. And a, an old lady who actually had a reputation of not being a particularly godly woman herself rushed out of a shop and came right up to him, pointed at his face and said, you are the most ungodly fellow I have ever heard in my life and if the youth of this town but come in contact with you, they will be corrupted to the core. And then she walked off. And so Bunyan was so shocked by this, but in secret, he didn't, he didn't show it, but it did have an impact on him because he realised that his life outside of the church building was so wrong and so full of sin and he felt quite ashamed at that point of the way he was living. So then he determined in his heart that he wanted to change. And so he set about to changing and he, he tried very hard. He, he sort of cut out his lying. He stopped the, the blasphemy, he stopped the fighting, the drinking. He, he even tried to stop gambling and so on on a Sunday. And he set his mind to being morally virtuous to the point where he actually felt that no one would be able to find, not even God would be able to find fault with his actions. And yet he had no peace at this point. And in fact, you know, he, um, he actually had more fear and more, uh, I guess, um, he was more unsettled than he was before. And he actually had a great fear at this point of death. And he understood sin. It was like he was un understood that he had this, um, this very, very sinful heart. And so um, he, there was an account once where he was meant to be ringing the, the bells in a church tower and as he stood there and he was about to ring the bell, he felt like God would cut the chain of the bell and it would crush him. So much so that instead of ringing the bell, he ran into an archway and thinking that the bell would fall. And then he thought, no, I'm not even safe in this archway. The bell's going to ring. Somebody else is going to ring it and it's going to hit the archway and the whole thing's going to crumble on top of me. And so he actually ran out of the whole tower and then he ran away from the tower thinking the tower would fall on him. So he had moments of these extreme sort of periods of fear where he didn't, he thought that God would strike him down at any moment. So he had this immense guilt and this immense burden of guilt and he didn't know what to do with it at all. But on, at the same time, there were many, many people who were congratulating him on becoming a true Christian, finally, because they saw a huge change in him. You know, previously he had a reputation for just being the, the worst of the worst and now he was attending church and he was, he was actually sort of acting in a very righteous way. And so people actually said to him, you know, you finally, you've changed. What a transformation. But he didn't, he didn't feel it. And he, in fact, felt that these words were 
very contradictory because inside he knew he really hadn't changed. It was all just his willpower. And the fear that he had of sin had increased and not decreased. There was one occasion where he was in a town square and um, there were a group of two or three women sitting in a doorway. They were peasant women. They were doing something in the town square there. And he could hear as he walked past that they were discussing things of religion. And at that point, he also had the sense that he understood religion. He knew what it was all about. And so, you know, he sort of walked up to them boldly, thinking that he would set them right in their understanding of things of religion. But as he sort of paused, he listened, and he could hear that they were talking about things that that were so foreign to him. He, He heard them mention the new birth and how... Jesus would, had uh, changed their hearts and how they, they had, and because of Jesus' work, they were able to shun the temptations of the devil. And instead of talking, he just stood there listening to them. And he thought that they were talking of things that were just so foreign to him and it was as if they were in another world. And they had such joy and all he had was fear. And so he realised he didn't understand things at all. And he spoke to these women, which was probably a great act of humility because, you know, these were uneducated peasant women, women, and here he was, well, he was not particularly high class himself, but he spoke to these women and they directed him to a local sort of a a church. It wasn't a Church of England church, it was a a non-conformist church, as they called them in those days. And there was a man there by the name of John Gifford and he was a pastor and he was the one that opened the Bible to John Bunyan and taught him things that were there. But even at this point and despite this teaching that um, John Bunyan had from this this local man, um, as he understood the scripture, it, it didn't actually help him that much at the time because he read stories about Cain and how Esau sold his birthright. And he thought about Judas, who was betrayed and then whose innards spilt out as he sort of committed suicide afterwards. And Bunyan actually thought that he was more like those people. He felt that his past life was such that there was no way he would ever be able to be restored. He thought of the blasphemies, the profanity, the way he'd lived, and he thought that salvation was for everyone else not for him and that he'd missed out and he used to look out on animals and be envious because they were in such bliss and he had known his sin and he'd committed so much wrong and now he was cut out of this plan of salvation and so you know he actually found he he found this a great sort of he was despairing when he um, read about these things but um There were also times, and he looks back and realises this was the devil. There were times when in his heart he heard the devil say, you know, why pray? You know, you won't be heard. Your prayers won't get to heaven. You are lost already. And there were other times where, you know, he heard the devil almost say to him, you know, you're too late. So why live this virtuous life? Why not just go back to the way you were before? Sin, you know, don't control yourself. Just do what you can. Might as well do it now. It's too late for you to be saved. And there were other times when when the devil sort of said to him, part with this Christ, you know, forget it. But somehow 
John Bunyan kept sort of trying to seek something. He didn't know what he was looking for, but he thought that he might be able to find it, and he began to search the scriptures himself. One day as he was going along, the verse, and it was a familiar verse to him at this point, um, this, this verse came into his mind, and it repeated in his mind three times. It was just very simple. It was, my grace is sufficient for you. And then again it said, my grace is sufficient for you. My grace is sufficient for you. And each time that verse sort of repeated, it was, John Bunyan actually felt that the Lord himself was saying those words to him. And it stopped him in his tracks. And he realised that there was this thing called grace. And that the Lord himself had spoken these words. And that this grace was sufficient, it was enough. But even at that time, he was scared to believe. He was scared that believing this, you know, he, he would have false hope. But an, another time, very shortly afterwards, he was walking through a field. And again, he was thinking of his sin and he was regretting. And you, you've got to remember, he actually went through this for many years. And it was almost like a great depression and despair and ups and downs. And so as he was walking through this field, he was actually quite depressed, thinking of his life, thinking of the things he'd done and thinking of his missed salvation. And suddenly these words were very, very clear in his mind and it was as if somebody had spoken them. He heard, your righteousness is with Jesus Christ in heaven. And he actually, he knew it didn't come from him because he didn't understand it at first. And again those words repeated, you know, your righteousness is with Jesus in heaven. And suddenly it was as if the light turned on. He understood that it was nothing about his own righteousness or his own sin. It was everything to do with Christ and Christ was all and in all. And he realised that it wasn't about how hard he tried and it wasn't even about his past life but everything was bound up in what Christ had done. And he knew in that the other verse that Jesus is the same yesterday, today and forever struck him as well. And he realised finally that it was nothing to do with him and everything to do with the Lord Jesus and his death and resurrection. And in that moment, he was full of love and joy and he, he understood the mercy of God, so much so that he was about to preach to the crows in the field. And so on that day, a great evangelist was born. And mind you, this was after five years of struggle. Now, soon after this time, um, he, John Bunyan actually had a, a great desire to preach. But in those days, you know, preaching belonged to the educated class. You know, the theologians preached and they went to Oxford. You know, they were the, the high status people. So the idea that a tinker in the lowest of society who previously had a really dodgy reputation would take to preaching was completely out of the question. I guess it's kind of like saying, you know, a bricky's assistant becomes a neurophysicist the next day. It was sort of ridiculous. So he actually became known as the tinker turned preacher because he did preach and people were just outraged. Like, what? You know, how, 
who would listen to this man? He's uneducated. He knows nothing. He's, he went to school and he's had a poor man's education. He could only read and write just. So actually this turned out in his favour because many people out of great curiosity came to see him. And they realised, or many people realised very quickly, that John Bunyan had a great gift for speaking. He was an evangelist. He spoke the gospel from his heart. And he recognised later on that those five years of great depression and despair and the ups and downs and the studying of the scripture and, and the temptations of the devil really made him or equipped him for spreading the gospel in a very clear way. And so, you know, he became very well known as a preacher. In fact, there is an account of when he travelled to London and people were given one day's notice that he would be there. And it was going to be at a week, on a weekday at 7 o'clock in the morning in London. It was cold there. And 1,200 people gathered in open air just to hear him preach. So he was very well known. At that time, there was a theologian, a very educated man, who was also the vice-chancellor of Oxford University at that time. His name was John Owen. And um, he appeared before King Charles. And King Charles said to him, why is it that you, a man of learning and great education, are going to see a tinker, a mere tinker, preach in the streets? And John Owen famously said, sire, I would willingly exchange all my learning for that tinker's power of touching men's hearts. But um, Bunyan's life was full of pain. And after 10 years of marriage, his wife died in childbirth and left him with four children under the age of 10. His first child, Mary, was born blind. So, um, and, and you know, he, he writes, Bunyan writes later that she was so dear to him and he worried so much about her because, of course, in those days, if you were blind, you were probably destined to be a beggar um, and be destitute. So he cared so much for Mary. And at this time, you know, he was left with four children under the age of 10. And not only that, but um, after, after around that time, the situation politically was changing. And there was a lot of rumours that Charles II was going to reverse all those rules that Oliver Cromwell had in place. After about a year from his wife's death, Bunyan remarried and he married a woman who we do know her name. Her name was Elizabeth Bunyan and I'll talk more about her later because her story is incredible as well. Now, just at this time, so you imagine he's just married again. He has four children. The oldest is blind and the political situation reverses and there is rumours that this Clarendon Code, which was the, the rules about you cannot preach without a licence. In fact, there was another rule that you couldn't preach to more than five people outside a Church of England building. So you couldn't assemble people together at all. So there's your open air preaching is gone. Um, there are all those uh, non-conformist churches who weren't in proper Church of England buildings. All of them were sort of now illegal. Um, you had to use the Book of Common Prayer. You were not allowed to depart from that. And there were constables checking up on you. It was, it was illegal to do so. So um, this, all of this had dramatically changed. And at this particular time, um, Bunyan was due to preach at a farm. And he was, he was going there and he travelled there and so on and, and many people gathered. And one of the, the 
you know, the people there said, brother, is this wise? You know, maybe we should postpone this gathering, you know, these laws, you know, they've just come into being. We, maybe we could just wait until things settle down. And Bunyan said, no, brother, our cause is good. We are here to preach God's word and we must not be ashamed of the gospel. But of course Bunyan, being a very famous preacher, was watched and there were people who followed him right to that farm and just waited for him to stand up and preach knowing that he had no license. And of course when he stood up and he preached midway through the sermon, the constables stormed into, the, into the, this barn um, and arrested him. And Bunyan went willingly and he called out to his congregation there and he said, it is a mercy of God to suffer for doing good. And then he was brought before the judge and the judge said to him, your calling is to be a tinker, not a preacher. Bunyan answered, my calling is to do both. And the judge said, well, you must stop preaching. It is illegal. And if you stop preaching, I will not imprison you. And Bunyan said, I shall not stop preaching God's word as he has commanded. And so the judge changed tact and said to Bunyan, do you love your children? And Bunyan's famous answer to this was, I do so, so very dearly. But in comparison to my Jesus, I do not love them at all. And so the judge committed him into prison and he was taken into prison. And he was at that time sentenced to three months imprisonment in the Bedford jail, the local, the local jail. Now over and over again, they, you know, the authorities appeared to him and said, all you need to do is sign here that you will not preach. You will not preach again. And then we'll let you go. We'll just open the door and you can go. And you can be reunited with your family. And this was a great temptation to Bunyan at that time because he had a new wife. He had <clears throat> four children under ten. His eldest was so dear to him. And by living away, I mean, by being imprisoned, he was pretty much, as he put it, pulling down the roof of his house upon his family. Of course, he was suffering alone in the cell, but they were suffering more. They had no income at all. They were destitute, reliant on people's charity, um, and this poor woman, you know, Elizabeth, had four stepchildren to care for with nothing, nothing. But he, Bunyan didn't relent, and although it was a great temptation, he never signed, and he, he said that he could not deal for the rest of his life with a butchered conscience against God. And at that time, um, he had great fear for his family and he actually took to making shoelaces and he would feed the shoelaces out the cell, sort of the cell window to his children who would run off and sell them in the markets and that's how they lived, by selling shoelaces that he made in the cell. Um, but at that time, the Lord gave Bunyan a verse which he clung on to for the whole of his time there and it was from Jeremiah and it said, Leave your fatherless children... I will keep them alive and let your widows trust in me. And so those simple words, Bunyan clung on to that. And he certainly needed to cling on to that because that three-month sentence, when those three months were up, he was not released. In fact, that three months turned into 12 years. And at that time, you know, he was hearing news of people being executed, people who'd done the same thing, preached without a licence, in other counties, 
People were being executed. There was one county where they got all the preachers and hanged them off a bridge. There were other places where people were imprisoned, tortured. There was a whole raft of things happening around him. And he never knew whether he would be released one day or killed the next. And so with that uncertainty, he sort of lived in this cell day by day for 12 long years. But in that time in the prison, he actually, uh, there, were, there were other people imprisoned with him and he used to preach from his cell and he would preach to people and soon you know, there were other times when people gathered outside to hear him um, and the jailer was pretty lenient and used to say, well, he's already in jail, what else can they do? So the, you know, he was allowed to be preaching and also during that time he wrote and he wrote his autobiography which doesn't really account sort of a lot of his life, but it accounts a lot of his inner thoughts. And this biography, he, he titled it Grace Abounding to the Chief of Sinners. And he wrote that at that time as well. Um, now, I wanted to tell you a little bit about Elizabeth Bunyan, because we've got to remember that this young woman um, really did share her husband's faith wholeheartedly. Now, at the time of Bunyan's arrest, she was actually pregnant. And right at that moment when he was arrested, in the stress of that situation and the stress of not knowing what was going on, she actually fell into an early labour. And for eight days, she was in labour. And then after that, she gave birth and her child died. So her husband was in prison. She lost her child. She had four children to care of, the eldest of whom was blind. And she was totally destitute. She had nothing. And yet, she encouraged her husband to stand firm. And she didn't want him ever to sign on that dotted line to say he would preach and encouraged him not to do so. She actually, um, the reason we know quite a bit about her is um, amazingly. Now, you've got to remember, she was a peasant woman. She was poor. Um, And this is more amazing when we remember the times and remember that she was this poor. She actually appeared, she decided to petition the authorities at the time. It had been a year since Bunyan was imprisoned and she decided to actually go to the authorities and petition them to release Bunyan. So on her own, she, well, I don't know if she went on her own, but she appeared before the judges on her own. She travelled all the way into London many, many day journey, probably on foot, and she, she appeared before these authorities. So this was the account of what occurred. The judge said, well, why does he not stop preaching then? And Elizabeth says, well, he will not stop preaching as long as he can speak. So then why are you here? Well, sir, I have four small children, and we have nothing to live on except the charity of others, and... and When the arrest occurred, um, I I fell into an early labour. I lost my first child. Surely, and then she was interrupted. One judge was moved by this, but the other interrupted and said, why are we listening to this case? He is a mere tinker. And Elizabeth said to this judge, and therefore you despise him so he cannot hear justice? And the judge replied to her and said, he preaches against the law and you know it. And Elizabeth said, but he preaches the word of God, sir. God has owned him and done so much good by him. And this judge replied and said, but his doctrine is from the devil. 
Elizabeth said, no, it is not, my Lord. And when the righteous judge appears, it will be known that his doctrine is certainly not from the devil. Of course, she was not successful in her petition, but this account was recorded because some of those judges were quite astonished at her bravery and her courage and her forthrightness. Now, after 12 years, um, the situation did change dramatically. I think it was to do with a marriage or something, and King Charles had a change of mind, and he decided to sort of relax some of the laws that he had passed. But this was not before um, Mary, Bunyan's oldest daughter, fell sick and died. So after 12 years of imprisonment, his daughter passed away. And Bunyan was able to walk free from his cell just like that. The constables came and opened the door and suddenly he was free. So immediately he decided to return to Bedford and he had this, he got a barn um, just in, in a village somewhere and he converted it and he, he uh, got, he used that to preach. And he, he was actually in that converted barn for 16 years just preaching. Now, the political situation was very uneasy because Charles just changed his mind and relaxed the laws, but everyone thought it won't take long for him to tighten them again. And sure enough, um, within only about two years or so, two or three years, things changed again, and all those laws were back in place. And Bunyan was arrested yet again. And this time he was taken to a very solitary cell. It was described as a very dark and damp little place. It was a cell at the bottom of a bridge next to a river. And there, um, in complete solitude and far away from his family, um, he was held. This time it was only for six months, and perhaps we can thank God for this six months, because it was then that he wrote his most famous book called Pilgrim's Progress. And um, when people looked at this book, and it actually was successful in its day, so um, John Bunyan, um, when he was released from prison, he took it to some publishers with the advice of others, and it was actually published and it was successful immediately. And some theologians like John Owen, who I mentioned before, they picked up Pilgrim's Progress and they looked at it, and it was so unique and so unusual that you know, many people were shocked at this book. It, nothing before had been written like this. And I'll talk more about Pilgrim's Progress another day. But one famous quote um, that someone said of Bunyan when they looked at his works, and particularly Pilgrim's Progress, they said, he is so saturated with the word of God that you could prick him anywhere and his blood would be bibline. In other words, it was like the Bible oozed out of him. And those years of imprisonment, um, you know, what he had with him all that time was his Bible. And he was so immersed in the word of God that uh, when you read his work, you, you can really see it. Now, after six months, of course, he was released. And again, it was very sudden with no explanation. And so the, the situation was in no ways any more stable. And so his immediate response to this was to put all his property and his title deeds and everything over to Elizabeth. So he owned nothing, which is quite unusual in those days. But he did that because he was scared that if he was arrested again or fined, he would ruin his family even more. And so he passed everything over to his wife. And the situation was pretty bad at that time. In fact, um, 
There, you know, there were gatherings where they had trapdoors at the front of the building, and the preachers would come in up the trapdoor and go down through a trapdoor instead of going out a door, and in that way they would escape arrest. There were other gatherings where people would sort of change the location all the time. There was never the same location twice, um, and also they would meet during the middle of the night or really early in the morning. Other places stopped singing hymns and they literally just gathered together in very quietly. So it was quite a stressful and difficult time in England's history and that's, and that's the time when John Bunyan was also preaching. But for some reason, he was never arrested again and he continued to preach. Now, Pilgrim's Progress was a great success um, but, and, and of course, um, John Bunyan's name was spread abroad but for some reason, he was never lured by that fame. He never left Bedford. He never left that converted barn. He travelled to this, these little villages around this very homely area. And although he was constantly invited to London, he, never, he went occasionally to speak and, and preach, but he never, he never was lured into that life. And also, for some reason, um, and people don't know why, he never saw the, the um, proceeds from his book, you would think he'd be a rich man by now, but he wasn't. Um, and some people say that perhaps he was, uh, that they were pirated copies or something, but he, he never became rich or famous, despite being quite famous and despite potentially being quite rich. Now, they also say that in his later life, so in his late 50s, he actually was quite exhausted. He used all his energy and he knew that his calling was to preach. And so preach is what he did. And by the end of his life, he was actually quite exhausted. You've got to remember that he was a travelling preacher as well and on foot or by horseback travelled from town to town, sometimes all the way to London and so on. But there was a time when there was a, a young man in his congregation who in tears begged John Bunyan to go and meet with his father. This young man had been, well, his father had threatened to disown him, uh, didn't want anything to do with him, and this young man thought of anyone, perhaps John Bunyan, could talk to the father and make that reconciliation between father and son. And of course, Bunyan decided that he would, he would do it. He wasn't a very well man at this time, but it didn't slow him down. And so he travelled on horseback all the way to London where, to meet with this young man's father. And he also preached in London. And um, when he was, you know, talking to this young man's father, he, he, this this father was so moved by John Bunyan that um, he wanted reconciliation and he wanted it immediately. And so that father and son were reunited, and um, the father was much changed by meeting John Bunyan. And also he preached in London, and many many people were saved through his preaching. On the way back, um, he was caught in a rainstorm and he was saturated through, because of course he was riding on horseback, um, and he, he was not a, a well man at that time, and he couldn't continue riding, so he pulled into um, someone he knew who lived on the outskirts of London, um, and sort of he stumbled into their, their home, and of course this, this man who knew John Bunyan sort of put him up for the night. But Bunyan became sicker, and he, he wasn't getting any better, and after a few days, they decided that they'd better send word to the family. And, of course, they were, they were on the outskirts of London, so it was a several-day journey yet. But, unfortunately, the message arrived too late, and Bunyan 
who was very, very sick and weak at that time, um, died alone and like most of his life without the comforts of home and without his family. But his last words to the friends that had gathered at that house, his last words were in great peace and he said, amongst many things, he said to them, weep not for me but for yourselves because I go to the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who will in no doubt receive me a sinner. And so John Bunyan, who was um, probably a, a great preacher at that time, died in peace on the outskirts of London and just like his main character in Pilgrim's Progress, he crossed on solid ground and walked through the gates of the celestial city.